Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Carlos Toro, riding solo this week. No guests this week, but we do have a lot to talk about. I am recording this hours after it was announced that Gennady Golovkin is now working with Eddie Hearn ahead of their IBF middleweight championship, or at least Golovkin's IBF middleweight title fight against Sergei Derevyanchenko on October 5th at Madison Square Garden. We'll get into all of that in just a bit, but before we do, gotta get the plugs out of the way starting off. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube, Give us a thumbs up. Leave a comment down below. Really helps us. Subscribe to our Fightful MMA and Boxing channel. You're also a fan of pro wrestling. Head on over to the Fightful Pro Wrestling channel. Where we got plenty of podcasts. Breaking news. Interviews. Uh, the whole nine yards. So just about everything pro wrestling related. And over here on the Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. We got you covered with boxing podcasts. Results. Podcasts featuring... A ton of special guests. Just last week, we had Brandon Figueroa, the interim WBA Super Bantamweight Champion. And on the MMA side, we got the Fightful MMA Podcast with Sean Rossap and Ryzen English commentator Joe Ferraro. Showdown Joe Ferraro. Both of them do a tremendous job covering the MMA world from UFC to MMA, even a little bit of Ryzen here and there. So we got you covered in all things MMA, pro wrestling, and boxing. But now it's time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. The second week of this revival, and I want to say this is what, revival number 28 of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. In case you didn't listen to last week's show or may have just forgotten, the podcast took a bit of a hiatus because I was moving from Puerto Rico all the way to Cleveland, Ohio, and it took me a little while to sort of get everything ready, you know, send, you know get the equipment set up. And the, my, my home base is not fully done yet, uh, which is why the audio may not sound super crisp and clear, at least for these couple of weeks. But hey, we got you covered with the Fightful Boxing Podcast. It is here. We got plenty to talk about. And the probably the biggest story this week, arguably is this union, this working relationship between Eddie Hearn and Gennady Golovkin. Now, let me sort of preface, for those of you who are listening and are not aware of what is going on between those two, so it was reported, I believe, by Mike Copinger of The Athletic earlier this week that Golovkin and Hearn were going to work together and try to, uh, you know, moving forward for the remainder of Golovkin's deal, which runs through 2021. They still got five fights left, including the one that we got in a few weeks at Madison Square Garden, Golovkin versus Yanchenko for the IBF middleweight championship of the world. And it was announced today, August 22nd, that Eddie Hearn's Matchroom Boxing and Golovkin's Triple G Promotions have signed a deal, or at least they reached a deal, where in layman's terms, you will see a lot of Matchroom Boxing involvement in Triple G's fights moving forward. Now, it should be mentioned, now, I, I should mention this. Golovkin did not. Golovkin did not sign, you know, the traditional 
promotional agreement with Eddie Kern. It's not like he's, you know, on the matchroom boxing roster. That's not what this is. What it is, is he, Golovkin, as he's trying to work himself up as a promoter, because that's what he wants to do when he retires. He wants to be a promoter. That's why he started Triple G Promotions. It's not one of these, you know, companies where, you know, you have a fighter, and they got they're technically their own promotional company, but they don't really run promotional events, or at least they don't operate in the same way like a Golden Boy Promotions, or a Matchroom Boxing, or a Top Rank, or any of that kind of stuff. But you got Golovkin, who is really starting to build himself up as a promoter, and he, and with Eddie Hearn, what's going to happen is, at least from what I understand, it's that you will see matchroom boxing fighters possibly fight on the zone whenever Triple G has his fights, because the way it's operating is basically kind of the same way where you see matchroom fighters on Golden Boy promotion cards on the zone every so often and vice versa. It's now essentially that, but now it's sort of official. It's done. So now we have matchroom boxing having a presence in Triple G's fights. It's Triple G is sort of starting to build a solid team around him, not just with the zone, but now with matchroom boxing with the support of Eddie Hearn. And I should also mention Tom Loeffler. Yes, he is still with the team, Triple G's, I guess, representative now, as you can call it. I, I don't know. I remember uh, someone, one, uh, a reporter on Twitter saying that he's now, that he's still representing Golovkin through Triple G promotion. So Tom Loeffler was, is, you know, was Golovkin's promoter for years and years. And when Golovkin's pro, uh, contract with HBO ended, there was a lot of speculation that... Tom Loeffler and Golovkin would split. And then when Golovkin signed with the zone, everyone thought it was essentially, you know, Golovkin was going to, you know, fight, quote-unquote, under the Golden Boy Promotions umbrella or the Matchroom Boxing umbrella and that Tom Loeffler was going to be left out of the dust. That ended up being untrue in every way, shape, or form. Tom Loeffler is still involved in Golovkin and Golovkin's career. I don't know how much. I don't know how much uh, compared to when he was, I guess, officially his promoter, but he is still involved. That is still the... That, that, that is what is happening here between Golovkin and Loeffler. He is still part of the team, but I guess in this way, at this stage of Golovkin's career, he is taking a more direct approach in terms of controlling his career because he only has a, few, a couple of years left in his career. He's almost 40 years old. He's got five fights left in this deal with the zone. And there's a lot there's a lot to actually like about this new relationship with Eddie Hearn. So what you have here is now essentially you have the Matchroom Boxing logo stamped on Golovkin's fights from here on forward for at least through 2021. And that kind of gives Hearn an in when it comes to negotiating Golovkin's fights. Obviously the biggest thing for Golovkin right now is to get the trilogy fight against Canelo Alvarez. At this point, is now looking like it's going to be 2020 if it ever happens. And I'm not entirely convinced it will happen. So, what do you do? If you don't get that trilogy fight against Canelo Alvarez, 
then you then Triple G is gonna have to explore other options for potential fights. And there's a few to like here because of this working relationship with Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn has a lot of middleweights and super middleweights, and I will get to the super middleweights in a second. But he does have Daniel Jacobs, who was a former world, former world champion, and Jacobs and Golovkin fought back in 2017. That was a razor-thin close fight between the two. Golovkin beat Jacobs, but I think it was like all scores having a like 114-113 or something in that ballpark. At least I personally had a 114-113. It, it was a very close and competitive fight, and there's no doubt if Jacobs and Golovkin fought again, it would still be a very entertaining and very, very close fight. They also got, in day, I mean Eddie Hearn in Matchroom Boxing, they also got Demetrius Andrade, who is the WBO World Champion. They, that's a potential fight that's been in, that's been kind of bubbling around for a little while. Andre wants to fight either Canelo or Golovkin, and hey, that fight is entirely doable, and that, that'd be one hell of a unification, and if you want to try to build up really build up to Canelo versus Triple G3 and if you really want to work for I don't know September 2020 and in the Mexican Independence Day weekend 2020 instead of Cinco de Mayo weekend 2020 uh you can you can do that you can have Canelo take care of business against whoever uh, is gonna face him for his next fight before the end of the year and maybe his next fight and then you have Golovkin, if he beats Sergei Derevyanchenko, you know, he could face Demetrius Andre. That'd be one hell of a unification. I'd sign up for that one. Golovkin is the type of fighter that he will bring the, a lot of pressure forward. And I did like what, he see, what I saw at times uh, with the Steve Rolls fight earlier this year where, with Golovkin now entering this, this training relationship with Jonathan Banks, who used to be Vladimir Klitschko's trainer. And, I don't know, this feels, you know, Golovkin seems a lot happier now. And he seems more confident in the ring. I like what I saw against Steve Rolls. Steve Rolls was, was performed very admirably in the short fight that he did. He even gave Golovkin a little bit of trouble in the, you know, at certain times in the first couple of rounds. But, overall, I like what I saw with Golovkin against Steve Rolls. And I think he's the type of guy that will push the fight forward, and he's going to force Demetrius Andre to really fight. And that's the thing about fights like these. I like them in the sense that I know how good Demetrius Andre is. He's not exactly a crowd pleaser. You know, not a lot of people really enjoy his fights. But part of it, in my opinion, has to do with the fact that Andre doesn't feel challenged. He, he makes it all look easy, and he doesn't, it doesn't almost, it almost looks like he is, he doesn't feel the pressure to have to get his shift into another gear and really turn the action up. He's dominating all of his, all of his opposition ever since he, you know, from beating Walter Kautondokwa to, you know, not that long ago when he faced Masiej Seleski. He's dominated all of his fights. He, you know, he trounced Arthur Akabov not too long ago. So, but but when you have a guy like Golovkin, it's not going to be as easy facing you know for for Andre. So now you have Andre in a situation where he's going to have to really try and really hit 
the lock and just to stand a chance of winning. And I think that's going to make for a fantastic fight. But if none of those fights sound appetizing, there's still a couple of solid names at super middleweight if Golovkin ever decides to go that route. And there are two names that I think are very, very notable that Eddie Hearn has on his roster at 168 pounds. You got WBA champion Callum Smith, who is, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, aside from Canelo, who still technically holds the WBA regular super middleweight title, but not counting Canelo, I think for a lot of people, Callum Smith is the best in the world at 168 pounds. And that'd be one hell of a fight. Callum Smith is spectacular. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not really impressed with his title reign so far. Ever since he beat George Groves, he was inactive for a very long time. Came back on June 1st. He beat Hassan and Dom, and I'm just, you know, which he beat him. But and Dom's a fringe contender at middleweight at at best. So I don't know how he got a shot at a world title at super middleweight. It made no sense whatsoever, but Callum Smith beat Hassan and Dom. It doesn't really tell me anything. I'm not really impressed with Callum Smith so far for his title reign, but but I'm not saying Callum Smith is no good. I, I think Callum Smith is the best super middleweight in the world, not counting Canelo Alvarez. So if Callum Smith doesn't fight Canelo next, and if Callum Smith doesn't have another big fight coming up soon... Who knows? Maybe, maybe get out of Golovkin. That'd be a really interesting fight. Billy Joe Saunders, the WBO champion who just recently signed with Eddie Hearn just a couple of weeks ago. Those uh, he signed with Matchroom Boxing. That could be a really good fight. That fight was brewing for a while now. Actually, they were actually in the midst of potentially making that fight happen. Saunders and Triple G. If Golovkin didn't get. I believe it was the second, the the second uh, fight against Canelo Alvarez. So now you, so now you have really no real obstacle to make when Golo uh, for a potential Golovkin versus Saunders fight. It doesn't even need to be a hundred sixty B a sixty eight pounds. It could be a one sixty. Saunders was just the champion. He was the he was the WBO middleweight champion a year ago. So, and I think Saunders can easily, will have no problem going down to 160 pounds if the fight against Golovkin can be made. So, when you're looking at this, all of this Eddie Hearn, Golovkin type of deal, there is a lot to like about it in terms of what can be made in the future. Again, if, if the third fight against Kyle Alvarez isn't made, fine. I can go to bed not uh, not ever seeing that third fight, but there are so many great fights for Golovkin down the road now that he's working with Eddie Hearn. I like it. I like a lot about it. And it's all going to begin with October 5th at Madison Square Garden. Golovkin versus Sergei Derevyanchenko. This is an interesting fight. Now, I personally don't have a problem with Derevyanchenko getting another shot at the title, or at least not necessarily another shot at the title, but being the mandatory challenger for the title so soon after he lost to Daniel Jacobs. And when I say so soon, I mean he lost the belt to, uh, he lost to Daniel Jacobs when the two fought for the vacant title 
I believe it was 10 months ago. Yeah, it was last October, ironically, also at Madison Square Garden. So now there's a, so now Derevianchenko is back in a position where he could win. And I think this is going to be a really interesting fight. I'm not, this is by no, in no way, shape, or form, is this a guarantee win for Golovkin. I don't think Derevianchenko should be counting out. He fought Daniel Jacobs very, very well, and the fight ended up, and when they fought last year, that fight was a split decision. I thought Jacobs won that fight decisively. It was close, but it was decisive. I thought there really wasn't that much of debate of a debate for Derevianchenko to win. Although, I mean, of course, you know, the, everybody's going to, for at least in the promotion leading up to the fight, they're going to play up as how close that fight against Jacob was and how a lot of people thought that Ivyanchenko won, which isn't really that true. But that Ivyanchenko is a solid contender at 160 pounds. And he should be, he should be viewed as a viable threat to Triple G. I think part of my... I think part of it has to do with the fact that Derevianchenko didn't really, didn't wasn't really, I want to say prepared because that's not, that that kind of implies that Derevianchenko didn't train enough or didn't take the fight seriously against Daniel Jacobs. But he's never been in the ring against a guy like Daniel Jacobs when those two fought, and I think losing that fight in the way that he did was really good experience for Derevianchenko moving forward because let's remember. Derevianchenko was only 12 and 0 when he was he only had 12 fights as a pro. So it's not like you know he he's faced all these world beaters and now and then he just lost to Daniel Jacobs. It's not the case at all. So I think having that experience of facing Dan, Daniel Jacobs is going to really help uh Sergey Derevianchenko in this fight against Golovkin. And this all and hey I wouldn't be surprised if Derevianchenko wins, or at least makes this an extremely close fight like he did against Daniel Jacobs. So, I like this fight. I'm looking forward to it. I wish I could be going to this fight to Madison Square Garden, but as of now, I'm stuck in Cleveland. I wish I could go in there, but I bet you it's going to be a good atmosphere over there in New York. So, now heading on over to this AJ Anthony Joshua situation this I guess you could call this a heel turn and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about so Anthony Joshua uh, very recently was being asked about the the first fight against Andy Ruiz and there was this and one thing that really stuck out to everyone was you know Andy Ruiz you know Anthony Joshua was saying and I'm paraphrasing here uh, and then Joshua was saying that Andy Ruiz, he, he, you know, he beat him with a lucky punch. Like, it was, like, it wasn't really, like, he didn't really beat him. He just got lucky with, a, with you know, he got lucky with a, with a clean punch after he got knocked down uh, when they fought in June. And after that, and, and around that time, there seemed to be this, like, really dumb, in my opinion, really dumb feud uh, over social media with Lennox Lewis, of all people, former heavyweight champion of the world, 
and those two have and, and and the social media jabs it just it's felt it's been really really awkward like for example you 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 talk about a guy like Anthony Joshua right away should be focusing on his on his rematch against Anthony Reed, not against not 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 have a social media feud with 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 Lennox Lewis is that it was all weird. It's you know I don't you know fine if you don't like Lennox Lewis that's fine but you don't need to go out and say. I mean, Lennox Lewis is a clown. You know what? My legacy is, you know, sit back and, and and enjoy the younger generation coming up and not to be involved. Just to appreciate what it takes here. Le Lennox isn't like that. He he. We're we're we are cut from a different cloth. And I've had 22 fights, and I was talking about being undisputed. What am I gonna do after? Go and fight Otto Wallen? Trying to take a shot at Tyson Fury for his fight against Otto Wallen next month in Las Vegas. And then, you know, it's really, it's really weird. It was, it, it was very bizarre and it just, it felt weird. It was a weird flex. <coughs> it was a bit of a weird flex to try to go out and go to Lennox Lewis and say, look at what all I've done. I've only had like less than 2,000 fights and I've, I've already had world champion held three of the four world titles. And it was, and it was weird. I don't know where Anthony Joshua is getting this. And I kind of have a bit of a theory about why Anthony Joshua is doing this. Albeit it's not necessarily a strong theory or probably one that even makes a whole lot of sense. But hear me out. So Anthony Joshua, you know, obviously with that first fight against Andy Ruiz, he's trying, he, that fight against Andy Ruiz was his U.S. debut. He was trying, he want, you know, he and Eddie Hearn were aiming to turn Joshua into this next American heavyweight star, or at least next heavyweight star in America. I, I should clarify that Joshua is not American, he's British. And... The way it all went down, it was we. He lost his title in a massive upset. No one is really taking him seriously. So my theory is that one, Anthony Joshua, this little this heel turn, this villainous turn, is is not genuine whatsoever. I think Joshua is sort of playing it up for. For the for social media, and he understands it is possible. He could look at the United States and some of the biggest stars in combat sports, guys like Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, and those guys. Look at look at their antics. No one is, is there. They are essentially heels, and to use wrestling terminology, they're essentially heels, and they're trying and and they draw these massive crowds. Huge pay-per-view records, and I can see a scenario where Joshua looks at that and thinks to himself, you know, if I become someone, if I become this, like, hated fighter from the UK coming to take over America, people are going to want to watch me lose, and people, and I'm going to be this massive star, 
and I'm gonna, and this will really draw up crowds and really drum up business for myself, for Eddie Hearn, for the song, for Matchroom Boxing. And it's weird because, like, Anthony Joshua, he never seemed to be, like, the, like, the guy to act like a Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather. It's just, a lot of people try to imitate that style, and 99% of the time, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Because you need, like, a nat you need to have a certain level of charisma, of natural charisma, to be able to pull something like that off. And to be able to go in halfway around the world and be an instant draw. Conor McGregor was able to do it, and other fighters were able to do it. Gennady Golovkin was able to do it. But the issue here is no one in America is really taking him seriously. And if he has, and if he shows all this bravado and sort of downplaying the way he lost, downplaying Andy Ruiz, downplaying Lennox Lewis, again, of all people, why Lennox Lewis? And you go out to Saudi Arabia, after all the hoopla that was made about this rematch, and Anthony Joshua ends up losing to Andy Ruiz? Credibility in America immediately goes down to zero and to a point where it may never recover. So I don't, so if, but if Joshua beats Ruiz and brings this kind of villainous persona into the United States, then this kind of calculated gamble could still work because now you're looking at a scenario where now you want the crowd to really want to have that Joshua Deontay Wilder fight next year or in 2021. You can make that possible and you, where you certainly have like a fighter that people clearly want to root for and a fighter people clearly want to root against. Good, you know, good guy against bad guy is the oldest trick in the book in the fight business and pro wrestling. It's the oldest trick in the book to try to draw up a big event, draw up the, a huge crowd. And when done right, it always works. It always works. So I guess maybe you look at that scenario and think, maybe justify in a way you can sort of understand why Anthony Joshua is doing something like this. But it's a calculated risk. If Joshua is having this feud with Lennox Lewis, and Joshua goes to Saudi Arabia and loses to Andrew Ruiz, no one in the United States, or at least the collective mindset of boxing fans, as fickle as they are in the United States and in social media, they will never take Anthony Joshua seriously again. Uh, they will never take him seriously again because you go out and you get upset by, by Andrew Ruiz and you essentially have your Mike Tyson Buster Douglas moment. But the, thing, but the difference here is Tyson eventually recovered and became champion of the world and became a, a leg legitimate threat for a while. But Joshua, if he loses to Andy Ruiz the, a second time, he's essentially going to have to work all his way back up to the beginning. And the issue here is that Andy Ruiz and Deontay Wilder, they sort of fight under the PBC umbrella. And Anthony Joshua isn't going to go to them for to challenge for a title. So now you go have a scenario where you essentially have to wait until one of those two champions either lose their titles to someone else, or vacate or strip the, or, or strip their titles. And there was some discussion about 
Andy Ruiz potentially vacating the WBO or the IBF title or something like that. And if Andy Ruiz wins, and if he doesn't fight Kubra Pulev, who is the mandatory challenger to the IBF title, then... You know, and then that title, the IBF title, is stripped away from Andrew Ruiz, and that opens up an opportunity for Anthony Joshua to at least reclaim a piece of the World Heavyweight Championship back. But it doesn't matter if he gets that title back after losing to Andy Ruiz. His credibility in the United States is shot, for, you know, and it's hurt almost beyond repair. So I don't know what's going to happen between Anthony Joshua and Lennox Lewis. I don't know. I, I don't know what the end game is for either guy. But if you have someone like Anthony Joshua. And he's doing all he can to try to turn himself into a big heel. And you have, and then you have him lose to Andy Reese the second time. No one's ever going to take him seriously again. Deontay Wilder, the, the fight against Deontay Wilder would be officially dead, and a fight against Tyson Fury would also be officially dead. I mean, they still be do pretty big business business if they ever do, if they ever do settle things in the ring. But the allure of it won't be the same as it was when Anthony Joshua was undefeated, and that's the issue here. So I don't know if Anthony Joshua really is trying to become this hated guy. So that if he does go to America again, he'll be able to draw more crowds because they want to see him lose. Similar to kind of like Floyd, to Floyd Mayweather or any other big time pro wrestling villain. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's real, but that's my theory on it. If it doesn't make any sense, okay. But, you know, that, th those are my thoughts on the Anthony Joshua matter after kind of thinking about it for a little while. And I'm kind of seeing, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have a scenario where, where Anthony Joshua does beat Andy Ruiz in Saudi Arabia, does become this big boxing heel, and goes to America and takes over in that manner. Who knows? Maybe it will work out in the end, but it's a calculated risk to say the least. And lastly, before we sort of end this episode, this solo episode of the Fightful Boxing Podcast, I want to do a, a quick rundown of the WBO, I, I guess I guess I will call this WBO Title Fight Week, because there is so much in terms of WBO World Championship bouts taking place this week, and all across the world, which is actually incredible, and so, I mean, WBO Fight Week, it's uh, very, it kind of has, has a little bit of a ring to it. Uh, actually, I did not think of the name. It was Gustavo Olivieri, who is the in-house counsel for the WBO, who, you know, who told me, who basically named it as such uh, on Twitter when he and I were talking a little bit about the fights that were coming up this weekend. And really, a week ago, or at least when I, tweeted out about all the all the fights taking place this Saturday or even this weekend in general I didn't realize how many world title fights are taking place uh, how many big fights are taking place this week so let's do a real quick rundown of all those fights taking place this week so starting off the, the first WBO title fight taking place on Saturday uh, comes all the way 
to Aichi Japan, Kosei Tanaka versus Jonathan Gonzalez for the WBO flyweight title. Now, for those of you in the United States that are willing to go and watch that fight, I believe that fight will be shown on Ring TV, uh, Ring uh, RingTV.com. Uh, live when the fight goes on. Uh, you can also watch it. Asianboxing.info also will have a live stream of the fight. And for those of you who are not aware of Asian boxing, the guys over there uh, do phenomenal work covering the Asian boxing landscape from Japan to China, Thailand, the Philippines. They do phenomenal work over there. I suggest you support them because if it wasn't for them, if it not, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have been able to watch some of Kosei Tanaka's last fights live in, in beautiful quality, mind you, with this relationship that they have with CBC. And uh, if, you know, it's a really, really good show with Kosei Tanaka defending his world title against the Puerto Rican challenger Jonathan Gonzalez. Uh, it's you know, we, we are in, a, in an era where, it's funny because this year we are having, like, a lot of, like, Puerto Rico versus, uh, a uh, Puerto Rico versus Asia in terms of boxing and title fights. It's really weird now that I think about it because you had Jesus Rojas versus Kanshu. You had Emmanuel Rodriguez go up against Naoya Inoue. You have another... Uh, so, uh, another fight like that, Vic Saldar versus Wilfredo Mendes Jr., uh, which I will discuss in just a second. And now you got Vic Saldar, um, not Vic Saldar, I just said that. You have Kosei Tanaka against Jonathan Gonzalez. I'm going to be honest here. I don't see Kosei Tanaka really struggling to win this fight, or at least making that much of an effort to win this fight compared to to his last two fights against Shokimura and against Ryuichi Taguchi. Which, by the way, if you have not seen Kosei Tanaka, go watch the fight against Shokimura last September. Uh, and it was a, a freaking phenomenal fight those two had. I named it my fight of the year for 2018. And you should definitely... Uh, find that it's I'm pretty sure it's easy to find it online Kosei Tanaka versus Shokimura and against Ryoichi Taguchi another very fun fight in Japan now you got a situation now Kosei Tanaka is really starting to get a following out west even though he's never really fought He's never fought outside of Japan, but because he's so good and his accomplishments in the ring are Lomachenko-esque in the sense that he's already won, he's, this is going to be his 13th fight, and he's already won world titles in three different weight classes. He won a world title in his fifth pro fight, which is amazing if you ask me, and now he's in that top 10 pound for pound conversation, in my opinion, and you got a guy like Jonathan Gonzalez, who I don't think he's, he's not a bad fighter whatsoever, and he certainly has done well in rebounding from a loss to Jobert Alvarez a few years ago in Puerto Rico, but he's never really faced anyone of the level of uh, of Kosei Tanaka. The closest one, the closest such fight that he's had, 
uh, to uh, to Kosi Tanaka was when he faced Giovanni Segura. Uh, all the way back in 2013, Segura was a former world champion at, at Light Flyweight who held a, a number of titles, Lineal, WBA, WBO, and and he did well beating Juan Alejo last time in his last time out. But when you go up against the likes of Ricardo Rodriguez, Julian Yedras, Juan Alejo, and then just step all the way to Kosei Tanaka, I'm sorry, but I don't really, I don't really see a lot out of Kosei, uh, out of Jonathan Gonzalez heading to this fight. Not to mention, he's he, he's already been knocked out twice in, in throughout his career, and now you're going up against a better a, a better fighter in Kosei Tanaka, who is this electric fighter, very young. He has this incredible ability to just constantly throw punches at you and force you to fight back. And he's not necessarily a power puncher per se. He's not a knockout artist. But he is kind of like Lomachenko in the sense that his sheer pressure alone and his speed and durability does kind of force you to have to play defense. And I don't know where Jonathan Gonzalez can do that a guy like Taguchi and Kimura weren't able to do against Tanaka. Now, the one thing about Tanaka that I don't necessarily like is that he has a tendency to go all out in his fights, and he doesn't really think much about defense. He gets hit a lot for the type of fighter that he is, and maybe that's where Jonathan Gonzalez can catch him. Maybe catch him with a counter left, you know, or actually, no, you know, kind of right would actually be more like it, but he is prone to leaving his left side a little bit open whenever he throws the right hand, that, that's tr that strong, lightning-fast right hand that he has. So, I don't know if Jonathan Gonzalez is, can catch up on, can pick up on that front or fight. Uh, I'm going to watch that fight regardless, because I love Kozi Tanaka, but... My prediction, I say Kosei Tanaka, very late stoppage against Jonathan Gonzalez, 10, 11, 12 round. But I think Kosei Tanaka wins this fight. And now moving on from Japan to the Philippines, where you have John Real Casimero versus Cesar Ramirez for the WBO interim bantamweight title. Uh... You know, this is an interesting fight. I like this fight. I think this actually could be one of the better fights of the weekend. For those of you who have not been keeping up with the career of John Real Casimero, Casimero was, you know, up to a certain point, he was sort of doing sort of well uh, being a contender at 115 pounds, but he didn't really perform that well at 115 compared to how he did at 111 uh, at 108 and 112 then he had a brief mo move up above 118 pounds and he wasn't doing he wasn't performing as solid as he was and then he had to fight or actually no my mistake and not not above 118 at 115 he lost to Jonas Sultan and he and, and it was weird because it didn't look it almost looked like John Real Casimero wasn't physically able to perform at his best at 115 
or at a 122 per se, but you put him at 118, and he just looked right. He looked like he's properly built for that division, and he's only 29 years old, and Junior Casimero has done very well. He's beaten the likes of Kenya Yamashita. He beat Ricardo Espinosa and knocked him out in the final round of an extremely competitive fight in April in Carson, California to become the interim WBO champion. And now he's going up against a tough, tough fighter and Cesar Ramirez, who I think is a solid fighter, a solid contender at 118. He's not necessarily a top 10 fighter, to say the least. He's, he's faced the likes of Ryan Burnett for, uh, in the past. And he's picked up a few, he's picked up a, a, a solid win streak, six fights in a row ever since he lost to Ryan Burnett in 2016. He beaten, he's beaten Eddie Valencia, he's, he's beaten a lot of these, like, I don't want to say no names, or, uh, but they're guys who, who took Cesar Ramirez the distance, but every, almost every time out, Cesar Ramirez would, would either dominate or would stop his opponents, and he's a tough out. I really do think that Cesar Ramirez can it will bring a lot of trouble to Don Real Casimero, but I think Casimero wins this one very narrowly. I think uh, I, this could be a split decision one. That's how close this fight could be. I like Don Real Casimero. I really like Cesar Ramirez, but I think Casimero wins this one. Then moving on to Russia. To Chelyabinsk, Russian. I don't know if I even pronounced that correctly or not, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you got Aunt Sergei Kovalev returning to Russia for the first time in years. Go up against Anthony Yard for the WBO Light Heavyweight Championship of the World. And a bit of a side note. FIFA will have live coverage of that card from Russia. That three-fight card that's going to be available on ESPN Plus starting at 12:30. We will have live coverage of that. So don't. So we will. So if you're you're not able to watch the fight, you wanna come in and, and discuss the fight during the during the show. Feel free to come into FIFA.com to discuss. But moving on, this is gonna be. This is going to be an interesting fight. So, Sergey Kovalev, I think at 36 years old, you can still make a great argument that he is still the best light heavyweight in the world just by judging his last fight against Elidel Alvarez. There's a lot to really look, uh, to really like from that rematch uh, performance against uh, Alvarez this past February. And I think we're now, Kovalev understands that he's at the point of his career where he can't be Crusher Kovalev and uh, try to go for a knockout and instantly destroy guys left and right as he was throughout his reign as champion. He's not going to... He's not at the point where he's going to be knocking out the Nathan Cleverleys of the world, the Cedric Agnews, the John Pascals of the world. The Igor, the Vyacheslav Shabronsky, he's not that kind of fighter anymore. He's not. But the technically sound, technically gifted fighter that is Sergei Kovalev, the fundamentally gifted fighter that we saw against Eldel Alvarez, 
I think that is the best light heavyweight boxer in the world. I think he's better than John Pascal. I think he's better than Alexander Vostik and Arthur Betterbeev and Dmitry Bivol, as great as all those guys are. But I think this level of Kovalev is the best. Now, will we see that kind of repeat performance against Anthony R? That's a different question because there is a lot that we don't know about Anthony Yard yet. Not from his skill set, you know, because we know that Anthony Yard is a strong, strong puncher. But the problem here is we saw, we've seen nothing but flash from Anthony Yard. We haven't seen anything that really tells us this guy's beating Sergey Kovalev or any of these world champions. The, the names that he's faced throughout his career they really are something to, to scoff at. No offense, but really, the, you know, Travis Reeves, Walter Gabriel Sequeira, Darius Sex, those guys, they are not top 10, top 20, 30, 40. They're, they're doubt, they're, I doubt they're top 50 in that division. You can't really tell me that... Anthony Yard has faced opposition that comes even close to beating, uh, to preparing him for Sergey Kovalev. Because no, it's not. <laughs> that's not the that's not the case. Now, there's a lot to like about Anthony Yard in terms of you know the promise that he brings. He's physically he's in his prime. He's 28 years old, but you're telling me that this 28 year, year old fighter from London who's still a little wet behind the ears in terms of getting big fights preparing him for the likes of Sergey Kovalev. You're telling me that this guy's gonna come in to Russia to Kovalev's backyard and beat him? That's that's a really hard sell if you ask me. And I get it. And, and I get it. Anthony Yard's a really solid fighter, but I don't think I don't think Anthony Yard's gonna beat Sergey Kovalev, if he, if Kovalev performs the way he did in his last fight against Elidad Alvarez. Now, if we see the Kovalev that we saw in the first fight against Elidad Alvarez, where he was trying to be Crusher Kovalev and try to knock out Elidad Alvarez, then Anthony Yard, I'd say, has a shot, because Kovalev has a tendency in recent years to really leave, leave himself wide open, and we've seen when you catch him on the chin real good with you know, with a, a punch or two midway through the fight in the middle rounds, we've seen Kovalev staggered and, and to a point where he can be stopped. Andre Ward did it in their rematch. Elidal Alvarez did it in, in their first fight last August in, in New Jersey. So there is, you can imagine a scenario where Anthony Yard can beat Sergey Kovalev. But that involved, but that would mean Kovalev fighting on his worst day, like he did against Elidel Alvarez. Not, not to say he wasn't fighting; uh, he was at his worst fighting Elidel Alvarez because Kovalev was still beating, slightly, uh, barely, barely beating Kovalev on the scorecards uh, last year. But the style that Kovalev had in that fight is should not be the style that Kovalev. Uh, half moving forward for what's left of his career. 
If he fights as technically sound and fundamentally gifted as we all know Kovalev is, I think Kovalev wins this one fairly easily. And I believe the last WBO world title fight taking place this weekend is in my own back in my backyard of Puerto Rico. What a great what a great time for me to leave Puerto Rico and go to Cleveland when we finally have a world title fight there and I leave and I'm not there for it. Big Saldar versus Wilfredo Mendes for the WBO minimum weight world championship. This for those of you who are not follow Vic Saladar's career, uh, it's it's a very good one. I don't I think people I don't think enough people give Vic Saladar the credit that he that he deserves being a world champion. He's he's fought a lot of very tough names throughout his career. He's fought, he's faced the likes of Kosei Tanaka, Tot, uh, Toto Landero early in his career. And and in his recent and, and very recently, he's been going to Japan for his title fights. So he, he's beaten Masataka Taniguchi, Ryuya Yamanaka. Those are not those are not names that you know just anybody can beat. Those are really solid names at 105 pounds. So you look at a guy like Wilfredo Mendes, who I gotta say has done very, very well ever since he got he lost a somewhat close fight to uh, back in 2018. He he's he hasn't faced a lot of tough names as of late. He is his best win was against Daniel Rivera um, back in May. But that was really, really close. And by the way, I actually do recommend uh, you guys watch that fight with Fredo Mendes Jr. Uh, against Daniel Rivera, uh, with Fredo Mendes. Because the scorecards, my God, they could not be any weirder. So I will give you a spoiler, of course. Mendes won that fight. But the scorecards read as follows. 188 Mendes. 97-91 Rivera. 99-89 Mendes. I have never seen scorecards this why this weird, this bizarre in my life. I've never seen what is it? A twenty? I'm trying to do the math here. Quick math in my head. What is it like a like a nineteen point swing from one scorecard to another? I don't think I've ever seen that in boxing. I don't think that's ever happened in boxing ever. A nineteen point swing between Mendes and Rivera. That's how weird this fight was. But but yeah, now Mendes is the mandatory challenger to to Vic Salador's title. You know, Mendes is, he's actually fairly big for someone fighting at, at 105 pounds. He's tall. He's, he's a tall guy, but uh, standing at 5 foot 5 inches. But, I don't know, I don't feel that confident in Mendes. He's still very, very young. There, he hasn't faced a lot, in the same, in the same case, uh, in the same way I make the case for uh, against Anthony Yard. He's still very young. He hasn't faced a lot of tough opposition. So you don't know what you have 
in Wilfredo Mendes yet until he faces a big Saldar type of fighter. I think Saldar wins this fight, but I think it's going to be fairly close. I do. I actually do think that uh, Mendes, with the help of the Puerto Rican crowd, the home crowd in San Juan, Puerto Rico, I think that'll be a a solid scrap. I think that, you know, listen, you can say a lot about Puerto Rican boxing and the state that it's in, given that there are no world champions uh, in any weight class, uh, men or women's for our boxing, but they will come out and support the hell out of Wilfredo Mendes for this fight because they know what this, what a win for Mendes means for Puerto Rican boxing. And who knows? I've had some people, I've had people in Puerto Rico tell me, hey, if he beats Vic Saldar, who's to say that in the absolute best case scenario, we finally have our, our, our next big star in Puerto Rican boxing. And you think to yourself, a, a minimum weight champion, uh, you, know, you know, being your top star? That's a little bizarre, but let's not forget. Ivan Calderon was a minimum weight world champion for years. And he was considered one of the top stars in Puerto Rican boxing. And Ivan Calderon, he's a, you know, he's a... You know, he's a future Hall of Famer just waiting to be enshrined. He's, I believe, in his last couple of uh, attempts to get into the world, uh, to the International Boxing Hall of Fame, were, you know, he just barely missed out on induction. So I think eventually we'll see Ivan Calderon make his way into the Hall of Fame. But I think for now, the current state of Puerto Rican boxing is just very, very. It's very frail, very fragile right now. So I don't know what Mendes can do to fix that aside from beating, from not just beating uh, Vic Saldar, but beating him decisively. If he does that, then maybe we got our, our next Puerto Rican star. Because all these other guys, they've either lost titles or just never, just never panned out from Emmanuel Rodriguez, Felix Verdejo, Jesus Rojas, uh, Alberto Machado. All of those guys, they either did not live up to their potential or they won a world title and then lost it at some point this year. And Angel Acosta, Angel Acosta, another guy who won a world title and then lost the title uh, this year. So yeah, boy, that there's a lot to there's a lot of boxing. By the way, that was from the that was from the WBO World Title section of this weekend. Cause there is still more. There is still a lot of boxing heading uh, this weekend. So you have tonight, uh, August twenty second. You have Luis Feliciano against Gennaro Gomez, main eventing a. Uh, uh, Golden Boy Promotions card in Indio, California. You can see that on Ring TV. Uh, Co-main event, Blair Cobbs versus Steve Villalobos. Blair Cobbs, my God, this guy is... Go God, Blair Cobbs is... Uh, Personality-wise, this guy is a star in the making. He is so charismatic. He's so electric. Guy comes out, you know, to Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme song in his last fight, and he dazzled... In his last fight, he's a guy to watch out for. I don't know. The jury's still out whether or not he's going to be a great fighter. But in terms of being an electric personality, good God, Blair Cobbs has the it factor. Let's see what else. There's a lot 
uh, there's a lot tomorrow, um, uh, tomorrow as well. You got a couple of cards uh, on Showtime and USC Fight Pass. Uh, let's start with the Showtime or the Showbox card in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Vladimir Shichkin versus DeAndre Ware, uh, super middleweight fight between two prospects, two very good prospects. I like that fight. Uh, Shishkin and DeAndre Ware, I think those guys are going to do exceptionally well. I think they're going to have a really good fight. And you got on the undercard, uh, Shojahon Ergashev, who is this rising junior welterweight contender. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like about Ergashev for now, but I feel like he's still a few years from really being a contender. You got Arnold Kegai against Vladimir Tikhonov, uh, super bantamweight contender. Uh, Kegai is a is highly ranked in a couple of governing bodies, if I'm not mistaken. But there's still he still hasn't you know he still hasn't wowed us with you know with how supposedly great he is. There isn't like. There isn't one performance that he's had as of late. You can say, okay, do we know Arno Kegai is a world champion in the making? So I just, he's still in that developmental stage, but I'm glad they're not like putting him out immediately into the world title picture because he still needs a little bit more seasoning. And putting him on show uh, on the showbox cards, I think they're going to do wonder for him. One fight that is weirdly not on this card. Is Jerron Ennis versus Franklin Mamani? Ennis is like the best prospect out of this entire lineup, and he's not. He's the one fight that I believe is not on TV. So I don't know what I, I don't know what to say about that. But Jerron Ennis, he's a really good fighter uh, coming in at at 154 pounds. He's really really good. He's a world. I I want to say he's a world champion in the making. But he's a top contender in the making at the very least. Then you got a, a show in Everett, Massachusetts on UFC Fight Pass. Real quick on the lineup, Abraham Nova against Miguel Beltran Jr., super featherweight bout. Uh, Nova, this, Nova is a really, really solid prospect. He's a guy that could make his way up to title contendership in a year or so. Uh, he's going up against Miguel Beltran Jr. I like, uh, you know... He's, he's a decent enough of an opponent. He most recently he was fighting last year against Yuriarkis Gamboa, and Beltran was you know was completely you know mollywopped in that bout. There really wasn't there wasn't anything good to watch on that on that show. But Miguel Beltran fought Yuriarkis Gamboa, who's undergoing a bit of a career resurgence. So, uh, well you know well there's. There's an interesting fight right there. You got, let's see, Carlos Gongora against Alan Zavala. Gary Spike O'Sullivan, he was supposed to fight on the show, but visa issues uh, will prevent him from not being able to go to this fight, uh, to this card. So, uh, no Gary Spike O'Sullivan on this show, but you still got Abraham Nova, you still got Carlos Gongora, James Perella, you know, Alex Duarte. You still got some decent names out there. The Zone, August 24th, Juan Francisco Estrada versus Dwayne Beamon for the WBC Super Flyweight title. This is a, you know, I like this fight. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not super in love with this fight because Estrada is, I think Estrada's going to beat Dwayne Beamon, but with the year that we've, that we're having, with all the upsets that we got, at this point, who knows, maybe Beamon can, can pull up a, a, a 
just incredible upset against Juan Francisco Estrada. Not much to talk about this one. I think Estrada wins this one fairly easily. On the undercard, you got Philip Hurovich, Liam Smith, John O'Carroll, Shakran Giasov, Alex, Alexis Espino, Diego Pacheco. You got a lot of solid names fighting on this undercard. This is a, I, I say give this a watch. I'll say give this a watch. And lastly, FS1 from Edinburgh, Texas. Brandon Figueroa against Javier Nicolas Chacon for the WBA interim super bantamweight title. You, I'm not going to spend way too much time talking on this. You know, I've had Figueroa on the show last week, so you wanna, so you want, you know, Brandon's thoughts on the fight and a bunch of other topics. You can head on over to that podcast to listen to that interview. But I, I you know, Javier Nicolas Chacon is a guy who's faced some decent, uh, some solid names throughout his career. But he's lost all of those big fights. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience fighting outside of his native Argentina. And I see this as a fairly easy win for Brandon Figueroa. I think this kid is on his way to becoming a very, very good fighter. Potentially crashing the top 10. Maybe even as soon as this fight that we got on Saturday. If he performs as well as I expect him to. I think he. I think you can make a very solid case that he's a top 10 fighter knocking on the door of the top 5 and the world champions at 122 pounds maybe next year. So I think Brandon Figueroa wins this fight. So that about does it for this episode of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube... Leave us a thumbs up, subscribe to our Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel, leave us, leave us a, a comment, give me your feedback on the show, what else you want me to discuss for next week's show. If you're listening to this on iTunes, leave us a nice review, it really helps us with our visibility out there, not just with this podcast, but all the other Fightful podcasts from pro wrestling, discussing WWE Raw, WWE Smackdown. To, to our MMA shows, listing your boy with Sean Ross Sepp and Fightful owner Jimmy Van. We got a ton of different podcasts, all of them great, so I highly suggest you check it out. Head on over to Fightful.com and FightfulBoxing.com for all the latest news in boxing and for Fightful.com for everything boxing, pro wrestling, and MMA. Carl Storro wrote the Fightful Boxing Podcast, signing out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.